Philemon is a one-page letter from Paul to Philemon. And Philemon is on Paul's heart because Paul was in prison in Rome, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles away from Colossae. And while in prison, Paul met a guy named Onesimus who was also in prison, a criminal, one who had committed crimes. And yet Paul met this guy, listen, and Paul's heart was so focused, everyone say focused, Okay, thank you. He focused that when Paul met this criminal, he led him to Jesus Christ. And Onesimus becomes saved. And Paul begins to ask him some questions. Tell me about where you're from. I'm from Colossae and used to work for this guy named Philemon, but I ripped him off and I'm on the run and now I'm here. And Paul's mouth dropped. What? I know Philemon. He's my buddy. (laughs) This is so cool. I got a crazy idea. I'll write him a letter. And because you ripped him off, I'll send you back to him. And Philemon's like, oh, I kind of like it here, <laughs> you know. There was upwards of six million slaves in Rome at this time. It was a big deal. To be a slave, there was all kinds of rules against your provisions for you. One of which, though, if you ran away from your slave owner, they could kill you if they want. They could also put an F, scratch an F, or burn an F on your forehead when you returned that said fugitive. They could mistreat you because you'd broken the law. And yet when Paul met Onesimus, this runaway slave, he gave his life to the Lord. And listen, this is my whole point. Paul, knowing how big the gospel of Jesus Christ is, says, hey, we can fix all this. We can fix all of this. Because there is no offense so big that the gospel of Jesus Christ cannot fix. Amen? There is no offense so big that the gospel of Jesus Christ cannot fix. I've counseled with many over the years. I've also counseled with myself in finding people who are, oh man, I messed up so bad this time and it's so intense and I, I can't forgive myself and I can't forgive them. And, and in certain moments of conversation, I've asked people, is your sin bigger than Christ's blood? And every single time, no, no, of course not. Okay, good. Then we can move forward. It's called the gospel of Jesus Christ. Martin Luther put it this way. Martin Luther said about the gospel that it is the principal article of all Christian doctrine. Most important is it that we know this doctrine well, teach it to others, and beat it into their heads continually. 1500s must have been a rough time. Martin Luther, the gospel changes everything. Now, I hope you guys understand this because you're here right now. Check your pulse. You guys here? Anyone here? Here. Okay, if you have a pulse, you have a purpose. What's your purpose? The purpose can be summarized in our lives as Christians from Genesis all the way to Revelation as being about the gospel. It is all about the good news of Jesus Christ. There are many other details and even distractions in our lives, but it all is summarized in John 3.16 and 3.17. Have you guys ever read those verses before? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him would not perish but... Oh, what about the next verse? For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. This is it. This is it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believed in him would not perish. Why? Because, because, listen, this is, it's important that you see it in context. Because God didn't send his son down to condemn the world. Have you ever been to a church that feels like God sent his son to condemn the world? You ever been to that church before? You ever been to that church before? You ever been that person before? 
driving down the road. Lord says, pray for your enemies. Lord, I pray they're struck by lightning. <laughs> Lord, get them. You know what I'm saying? And the Lord would say, that's not, no, no. That's not, that's not my heart. Remember the sons of thunder, James and John? So some of the earliest disciples, like handpicked, the A apostles, not the B apostles. And with Jesus, they literally wanted to kill people that were getting in the way. And Jesus said, I'm gonna change your guys' names from Peter and John to sons of thunder. Now here's the good news. As they would continue to be disciples of Jesus, as the years went on, James and John would have their character touched so deeply that instead of wanting to call fire down from heaven on non-believers and those getting in the way, they would go down in history, not only as the most prayed up ones, but the most merciful ones. John would go down in history, not as a son of thunder, but the apostle of love. His final messages on his deathbed in his late 90s as he would show up to services like this. They go, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, John's here. John knew Jesus. This is the last connection to Jesus. What's he gonna say? And they would bring him into auditoriums like this and he would say, little children, love one another. And that was the extent of his message. What? What else, John? There's gotta be something else. You knew Jesus face to face. You, you knew better than anybody. What's the purpose of life? Little children, Love one another. Because love never fails. 1 Corinthians 13, 8. Love covers a multitude of sins. Love keeps no record of wrong. Love is patient, love is kind. Love, love, love. Now there's questions that come through my mind because we have other situations, other questions that come up in our relationships. Did you know that Jesus was very relational? He was almost zero religious. He came to a society in a time where everyone was super religious. They had enough religion for everybody. And Jesus didn't add to the religion. He instead gave them a new command. What was the new command? It was to love one another. What the heck? John 13. I give you a new command. Ooh, a new new law. We like laws here, you know. Is it, oh, I just want you to love people. What? What do we do when they're unlovable? Did I stutter? Love people. Now we struggle with this. This is difficult because in this world, there's all kinds of opposition, there's all kinds of offenses, there's all kinds of inconsistencies and pains, and we'll just call it sin. But Jesus has commissioned his disciples then, Paul also. That's why Paul wrote this letter to Philemon. This is a one-page dissertation of the gospel. Oh, hey, Philemon, I got your buddy Onesimus. I know he did you dirty, but I want you to forgive him. End of story. Thanks, moving on. It's the gospel, to love God and to love others. It's so simple. Now here's the challenge though, and here's the rub. John, who I've already mentioned a few times, the son of thunder and apostle of love, he would end his epistles, 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. And in 1 John, he would say this in chapter four, verses 20 and 21. He would say, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a, Whoa. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him that he who loves God must love his brother also. Stop right there, eyes up here. I'm trying to have a setup for each and every one of us so we understand our focus and purpose moving forward today. What's the whole purpose? What's the whole focus? It truly is as simple as loving God and loving others. Because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And he didn't send his son to condemn the world, but that through the world he might save them. That's what he wants to do, that through 
Jesus, we are saved and reconciled. This takes, I was gonna say years and years and months. This takes a whole lifetime to learn, does it not? We forget. Okay, Lord, I'm gonna love them, but not super good. (laughs) Oh, man. Did you know that this is the reason you're alive right now? That the people around you, the people around me, were put there for you to love them in Jesus' name. It's the only reason. You ever missed out on what the purpose of life is? You ever totally missed it? Yesterday I was at the Oregon Ducks game. Go Ducks. And I was sitting next to this guy, and he was just a little bit too chippy for me. Which is saying a lot, because I'm pretty chippy, you know. And he, got, he wanted to talk, and I didn't want to talk. You ever been somewhere you just don't want to talk to this guy? I just want to talk to him. And I confessed that because I felt that he, he was open enough. He didn't know who I was, and he was just, you know, and blah, blah, blah. And I felt that the Lord, at the end of the day, I felt that the Lord had him there on purpose. Because of what I know, which is not just go ducks, which is John three sixteen, And I, and I and actually, I didn't, I didn't capitalize on the moment, I'm going to be honest. I just stayed in my lane, didn't engage, wasn't super. And I, I believe I missed it. I believe I missed an opportunity. You ever missed an opportunity? At the end of the game, we went down, we were leaving, trying to, you know, beat the rush. And so we were finding our way out, and we were walking out, and there was this rope and all these, like, concessions guys and security guys. We're like, well, what's going to happen here? And they said, oh, the whole team's going to walk by here in about 90 seconds. And we said, oh, well, we'll just stand right here. This seems like a pretty good spot to be. And a few minutes later, all of a sudden, this entourage of people came walking down, and, and people started yelling names, and it wasn't the team. And I looked up, and I saw Phil Knight. And Phil Knight was walking right in front of me. I don't know if you guys know who Phil Knight is, the owner of Nike, and the 24th richest man in the world. $61 billion. And so I crossed over the line. I'm just kidding. <laughs> So I pulled my phone out and took a video as he walked. Why is that Phil Knight? You know. Phil Knight's 84 years old. He had all these people. And as he walked by and as I was considering his life, his legacy, he's a philanthropist, he's, he's a donor, he's, he's gifted. And I don't know him. I don't, maybe if you do know him, give, give him my number. But I don't know him. It's a joke, guys, come on. And my heart was broken for him. I said, Lord, and I just shot up a quick prayer. I said, Lord, I don't know if he's ready. He's 84 years old. I don't know if he's ready to meet you. Because the transfer rate of $61 billion from earth to heaven is not good. I mean, none of it goes. You know what I'm saying? None of it goes. And I don't know. I was like, Lord, don't let him miss it. And yet here I was. I'm only worth $2 billion. (laughs) And I sat and I missed it in that moment with my friend who I didn't even know his name. And yet I want to grow. And I want to redeem each and every moment. And we do so by studying God's word. Wow, Paul, you're really that invested in the gospel of Jesus that while you're incarcerated in Rome, you're not just writing big epistles, but you're writing little small emails to Philemon and you're discipling Onesimus. Did you know that if every single Christian, every single one of us just had a heart to love the people that are right there in front of us unconditionally, in Jesus' name, knowing that God did not come to condemn them. That's what Jesus said. I don't want to condemn anyone. Now, we know that there will be a judgment day. There will be a reckoning. There will be a separating of the sheep and the goats, believers and non-believers, okay? It's above your pay grade. It's not your job. 
not your responsibility. Jesus has taken that to himself. And he has given to us the mandate of preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, to love others. And God's gonna give us opportunities. And I pray that we wouldn't miss it. I don't know if Phil Knight has missed it. I don't know. I can only speculate in my own small judgment that there may be a distraction in his life where he doesn't quite know what the purpose and focus of life is, eternally speaking. And as we look at the scriptures, we know that the gospel is the principal article of all doctrines. Now, let me, again, help you to understand what I'm trying to say if it's not making any sense. God will put in front of each and every one of you for the rest of your life people that he wants you to love on purpose. Sometimes they'll be lovable. Isn't that awesome? Puppies and strangers. and Then there's other people that are harder to love, people that get under your skin, challenges. Did you know that God will on purpose put those people in front of you as well, if not more. Y'all from Lincoln County, right? Plenty of people to love here. I remember one time, I was about 22 years old. It was before I was married, and a friend of mine named Chaya, she called me and got a hold of me, and she was an odd duck. She was kind of strange. And she called me and said, hey, Luke, I've got this friend of mine who has nowhere to stay tonight. He needs somewhere to stay, and I know you love God and love others, so I told him he could stay at your house tonight. <laughs> I was like, what? Okay, uh, you know, all that checks out so far, but it's a little bold, but all right. Where's he at? He's like, he's on his way over to your house right now. And I'm just, I remember the story because this guy showed up with this blue mohawk, you know, this anarchist kid who's just, you know, madder than mad. He had a jean jacket on it with more studs and chains than Les Schwab. I mean, this guy was all decked out. His pants were holier than the Pope. And this guy walked up with these boots. You know, I'm like, are you Chaya's friend? Yeah, I got nowhere to stay tonight. It's like, yeah, you still don't have anywhere to stay tonight. Get out of here. Kidding. I was stuck. Chaya told him I'd take him in. I was like, this, I would have never taken you in, bro. But she said I would, so I have to. And I, I just remember that because it was a challenge. But she went out on a limb. She said, well, I know my, my, my friend, he's a pastor, he's a leader, he's, he loves God. And you need love. Now, I, I never followed, but he stayed one night, he left the next day. I don't know his name. I was thinking about him this morning. He probably remembers that night too, just like I do. That somebody opened up their house hospitably to him invited him in. And God's gonna put people in front of us to love in Jesus' name. What if we did this? What if we just said, yeah, that, that's what the focus is all about. I mean, how many people do cross your path every single day? So many people, so many opportunities. I believe that there's a, a pull in each one of our hearts to be successful. There's a pull in each one of our hearts to be fruitful. I don't wanna blow it. I don't want to blow it. I don't want to blow it. I don't want to miss the big opportunities. I want to be in the ministry. I want to be used by God. And the Lord would look at you and say, you missed about six or 700 opportunities today. I mean, wouldn't that be just true? He's, he, they're all over. And it just takes, the, oh, is that, is that true, Lord? As I read the scriptures and see how out of the box Jesus was on his way up to Galilee, and he says, I must go to Samaria. And his apostles are like, eh, no, you don't. No, you don't. We don't got to go there. That's like trying to go to Portland and saying, I'm going to take the Otis route. Like, you don't have to do that, you know. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> Thank you. And Jesus loved people intentionally. And we see Paul doing the same thing. Discipling. 
I got so many stories I don't want to share them and just, you know, misrepresent the Lord. Yesterday, we were getting gas on the way home from the duck game, and I was just processing Phil Knight and where he's going and this guy that sat next to me during the game, and we were getting gas in, in Philomath, and I saw this guy walking up the road with a gas can and a bucket and Carthart overalls, and he was wearing wool socks with flip-flops. You ever done that before? And he, he was rough, you know, always. And I was like, whoa, dude, you're, you know, I know he's rough and you're wearing flip-flops with wool socks on. And, and he set down all this gear and I'm getting gas and I just yell, hey, are you going to fill up that gas can? Are you here for gas? Like a pretty obvious question. And he said, yeah, I said, well, bring it over. I'm, I'm almost done. Top, just come over and I'll get your gas. I'd love to do something for you. Just love. And he came over and he filled his gas tank and he looked at me when he was done and he was an older guy, he'd worked hard as well. I don't know his story, don't need to know his story. And I said, hey, I, I did that in, in Jesus' name. It was in Jesus' name. And I encouraged him, I said, hey, hang on. His return is near. Jesus is coming soon. And he began to concur in his own way, in his own, you know, response. And little ways, though, that the Lord will give for you and me to love the people around us. And yet the problem is we all have excuses, don't we? How many excuses can you come up with in a day? They're in my way. I'm late. They're beaver fans. You know, whatever. Whatever your excuses are. I love the beavers too. Let's read verse four. And let's see what Paul does. Paul says in verse, well, let's read verses one through four. Paul, he addresses Philemon a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. Oh, to Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer, to the beloved Aphia, that's his wife, and Archippus, most likely his son, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers, hearing of your love and faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus, listen, and toward all the saints, that the sharing, here's this prayer, of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in your love, listen, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. Can you guys get the context? Paul loves Philemon so much, he's like, Philemon, dude, you're like top notch. Your wife and your son, your church, you're doing it. You love God and love others. It's, it's obvious, it's amazing he goes on then in verse eight, therefore, this is the big ask, therefore, though I might be more bold in Christ to command you what's fitting, yet for love's sake, I rather appeal to you, being such as one that Paul the aged and now prisoner of Jesus Christ. Here's what he appeals in verse 10. I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains, who once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. I'm sending him back. You therefore receive him, that is my own heart. Stop right there, eyes up here. Paul reaches out, this heart of love, this conviction, seeing this connection. I'm in jail, you're in jail, I know your old boss that you did dirty, I think God wants to reconcile. Because Jesus has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Second Corinthians 5, as if God were pleading to mankind, be reconciled through his ambassadors. This is the whole deal. And he places by us other like-minded folks at Oregon Duck Games like I had yesterday and missed the opportunity. And yet the Lord will set up for you and for me 
more opportunities. And the question I just asked or the problem I mentioned is that there's so many challenges in our lives and excuses for the things that happen and then we discount ourselves from the Lord's plan and we don't volunteer for what he wants to do. You ever had your plans change on you? I had plans this weekend to go to the Ducks game and then one of my kids got sick and all the plans changed. We had plans for months for this to happen. It was a big deal. And the plans changed. And immediately we went into panic mode. and got these tickets and who's gonna go and, and all this. Look at verse four. It says, I thank my God making mention of you always in my prayers, hearing of your love and faith which you have toward the state. Stop right there. Isaac here. Paul has had his plans changed. He's now incarcerated. He's in jail wrongly. He's been accused falsely and he's now there waiting his sentence and possible death that would come shortly. And what's he doing? He's doing two things. Number one, he's rejoicing and praying. How many guys, when your plans change, that's not your first two reactions? You know what I'm saying? I thank my God every time I think about you, Philemon. I'm praying for you daily, man. You know, he's in jail. It's the worst thing ever. And yet his knee-jerk, at least at this point, reaction is to rejoice and to pray. I'm not there yet. My plans change, challenges happen, distractions. I start to give myself all kinds of excuses for being a weirdo. You know, excuses for being, you know, short, impatient, condescending, critical, unavailable. You ever do this to yourself? You ever do this? And Paul here says, you know what? I'm not going to do that. I'm going to rejoice. I thank my God daily and make mention of you in my prayers always. I'm going to pray and rejoice. Wouldn't it be radical in your Christian journey as you kept going that when the distractions come your way, when the tests, challenges, imprisonments, and incarcerations that you don't deserve suddenly come upon you? The things in this life that are unfair, has anything ever unfair happened to you? Anything unfortunate ever happened to you? Just give me a nod, let me know you're here. Okay, it has. Let me give you three reasons why I believe Paul was able to rejoice and to keep praying when he was imprisoned, when he was distracted, when he was tested, and when he was challenged. Okay, here's the first one. This wasn't Paul's first rodeo. He'd been there before. Paul's in jail. He's been in jail before. He'd been in jail in Philippi, Acts chapter 16. He'd been in jail in Jerusalem, Acts chapter 23. These are just two off the top of my head. He'd be imprisoned many times in his life. And because he'd been through setbacks many times in his life, he'd seen the Lord be faithful through every time in his life. Amen? Every time. And so what does Paul do when he's in prison again? I'm gonna rejoice and I'm gonna pray. Paul did this in Acts chapter 16. He was there with Silas. I've referenced it so many times in my teaching. And as he's there wrongly imprisoned, he'd been beaten, been sentenced, all these things that had happened that he didn't deserve. He said, hey, Silas, let's pray. And as he began to pray, the chains broke and the doors opened and the light came in and salvation broke out. That's what happened. Remember in Acts 23, he's getting beaten by his countrymen and nobody likes him and Peter has abandoned him and all these things are against him. And in Acts 23, it's one of my favorite portions of scripture. Read it later. Red letters. Jesus shows up to his jail cell in the middle of the night. Paul, you're doing so good, bro. And if I were Paul, I'd be like, what channel are you watching? You think this is good? I got blood coming out of my face. Nobody's mad, you know? And then Jesus gave him a promise. He said, you're gonna testify the same testimony in Rome. You're gonna do the same thing. Now, Paul's in Jerusalem. Now, all of a sudden, he's got this word spoken over him, which leads me to my second point. Let me finish my first point, though. 
Paul had been through this before. He'd been here before. And so too you in your setbacks, challenges, trials, distractions, and difficulties. It is imperative that you look back at the time. Has God been faithful to you before? Yeah. More than once? <laughs> yeah. More than 100 times? Yeah. His whole existence in your short life, has he been faithful to you? Yes. What makes you think that he and his ways of redemption, power, and provision will not be faithful moving forward? Something in our carnal nature, something in our brokenness, something in Satan's strategy to trick you, just like he did to Adam and to Eve there in the Garden of Eden, where he said, are you sure God's good? Are you sure he has this figured out? Are you sure he knows what's going on? And you begin to stroke your beard like Eve did, just kidding, like Adam did. It's a joke. It's funny too. And you begin to question. I wonder if the Lord sees what's going on. I wonder if he knows. Wouldn't it be awesome if like Paul, we just said, you know what? The Lord will cause all things to work together for his glory. He will cause it all. Paul's been through this before. He knew what to deal with. This was David's confidence as well. When David came to the battlefield with Goliath, he knew that God had been faithful and would continue to be faithful. Secondly, he had, Paul did, God's word. And he knew what was going on. God's word had prepared him for challenging days. This is why we study the Bible here at South Beach Church. Some churches teach about the word. Some churches teach from the word. Some churches teach the word. Okay, this is that church. We're teaching God's word. We believe it to be true. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. And when you know God's word, you're able to endure then the situations in the life that you're going through. And when you go through situations in life and testing, it is his word that is gonna come out refined, pure, tried seven times over. Now let me just speak to you. Paul spent many days with Jesus being discipled in the wilderness before he was put into ministry. And let me read to you out of what Jesus said in Luke 21. Jesus spoke this right on the heels or right, uh, right before he would be betrayed and crucified. And he said this in Luke 21, verse 12. He said, but before all these things, speaking of the end days, the last battle, he said before, this is what Paul knew, they will lay their hands on you, persecute you, delivering you up to synagogues and prisons. You will be brought before kings and rulers, listen, for my name's sake. Verse 13, this is your meditation for the week but it will turn out for you as an occasion for testimony. Jesus said this. Hey, before the end of the world, before it gets crazy, you're gonna be arrested, you're gonna be tried, you're gonna be hated and tested on all fronts. Oh, 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 that's not a bad thing. <laughs> kind of sounds like a bad thing, Jesus, you know. Kind of sounds like I don't wanna do that. And he said, it will turn out for you a testimony, an opportunity for you to stand in the fire and to reflect the glory of God for the good of others. Most people aren't impressed with your faith, with your Christianity, with who you are as a person when you're on easy street. But it's when you go through a test and a challenge and out of your character, out of your body, out of your mouth, and out of your life, come the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And they look at you and say, whoa, Jesus is real. You told me Jesus was real. But now that you're in the flames, now that you're being challenged, I can actually see in your life that Jesus is real. God allowed the three amigos, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, to be thrown into the fire. A few things happened. Number one, their bonds were burned. God always redeems the time that we're in. 
Number two, though, Jesus was with them in the fire. Fellowship. Deeper fellowship than you'll ever understand through fire. And number three, Nebuchadnezzar was saved. Nebuchadnezzar saw what was going on in the life of a test and a challenge of a believer. And he said, whoa, 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 whoa. What's happening? How is this happening? Jesus is real. I see it. The reason why Paul was able to rejoice and pray while incarcerated, and I hope you are grasping onto this for your own life, is number one, because he'd been here before. You too have been through trials. You know that God has been faithful. He'll be faithful in the future. Trust him. Number two, he had his word. He wasn't surprised by this. Don't raise your hands, but how many guys are still surprised when things go bad for you? If you're an American, you're like, ah, every time, bro. You know, we have our rights, and we should, should never, you know, my protections. And yet in the scriptures, God says, oh, in this world, you're gonna have trouble and tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. It's difficult. And when we know God's word, then we won't be so caught off guard. Number three, the reason why Paul was able to pray and to rejoice at the same time is because he chose to redeem the situation rather than waste it. So often we reject our situation instead of redeeming it and we miss out on what God wanted to do and accomplish in the midst of the test, in the midst of the challenge. I tell people when I'm counseling them, don't waste the pain, amen? Because if you're in pain right now, if there's something going on, you caused it, they caused it, we caused it, it doesn't matter who caused it, really, really. Pain puts you in a position to learn a lesson at a deeper level and to communicate a message to people's hearts that is more profound than just cheap words. So when your situation is full of pain, recall the time that the Lord has been there and gotten you through it. Thank you, Lord. Know his word that he's spoken to you. Just like Jesus said to the boys when he said, hey, let's get into the boat and go over to the other side. And as soon as they got in the boat, the winds and the waves increased. And they began to panic and they began to spaz out. Jesus wakes up from his nap and says, why are you guys freaking out? Did I not tell you we're going to the other side? My word. Know his word. And then also, instead of rejecting the pain, the situation you're in, which is so easy to do, redeem it and let the Lord use it for his glory and for others' good. Now look at verse four. Let's study this through a little bit more. He says, I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers. I love how Paul says this four separate times in all of his epistles. He says, I'm making mention of you. I'm making mention of you. I'm making mention of you. Okay, these are small, short, targeted prayers where I believe, I can't confirm, I believe Paul had a list of people that he simply just made mention of them. Isn't that awesome? Sometimes we don't pray because we have to get all King James and all weird and long and wrote, you know, these big prayers. Like, oh, it takes too, it's too hard to pray. Listen, just make mention of people. And as the Lord brings people to your mind throughout the day, just make mention of them before the throne. Lord, I pray for that person right now. Would you bless them? Would you intercede for them? Prayer is such an interesting thing, isn't it? Such a mystery. Sometimes we think prayer has to happen in a closet, which it should. Sometimes people, prayer has to happen in a quiet place, which it should. And sometimes prayer has to happen with other people, which it should. But prayer happens in so many ways, and it's simply talking to God on behalf of people. I've taught you guys this before. Prayer is always answered. You ever pray before and your prayers aren't answered, so you stop praying? Your prayers got answered. You just didn't like the answer. The answer to prayers are always one of three. Yes, woo, no, woo, or not yet. And we pray, Lord, let this happen. And yes, sometimes it does. And no, sometimes it doesn't. And not now, sometimes is the answer as well. Prayer always, though, will change one thing for sure, you. It might not change your circumstance. Have you prayed for, no, have you prayed for somebody and they're like exactly the same the very next minute? All the wives are like, yeah. You know what I'm saying? 
Keep praying. Keep praying. Keep praying. Paul says, I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers. Look at verse five. Hearing of your love and faith, which you have toward the Lord and Jesus, the Lord Jesus, and toward all the saints. He says to Philemon, I am so grateful for you that I'm praying for you. Let me just point out the obvious. Philemon's doing great. His slave had run away. He'd been done dirty. He's got a challenge now in his future. But by and large, Philemon is leading a successful life. Amen? And what does Paul say? Oh yeah, I pray for you daily. We pray for people who are hurting, people who are going through trauma, trial, difficulty, and loss, people who are challenged by sin and rebellion and carnality and chaos. We pray for them. Lyle Chamberlain and his wife are here this morning and they lead our prayer chain. So grateful for them. We pray for people who are hurting. Amen? Do you pray for people who are being used mightily? People who are successful? Let's do both. Let's keep praying for hurting people. Let's avail ourselves to the, oh, let's hurt with the, but let's rejoice. And if you know a man or a woman or something that's happening that is amazing, like Paul, who's, oh yeah, I pray for Philemon every single day. Why? Because he's killing it. He's going great in Colossae. So I'm praying for him. See, so often in our carnal nature, we see people who are successful or doing great, and we just sit there and eat the popcorn and watch until they fail. Just watch them. Watch them from a distance. Let's not do that. Let's pray for people who are being used mightily by God. Pray for those who are hurting and in the ditch. Pray for those who are on the road being used by God as well. He says, a hearing of your love and faith, by the way, verse five, which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. See, Philemon loved God, but he also loved the people around him. Because if you say you love God and don't love the people around you, First John tells you that you're a, wow. That's a test right there. It's so easy to be religious. It's so easy to get your life in order and say, oh man, Lord, I just, I love you. I love your word. I love your church. I love everything about you. I just don't love anybody else. And the Lord says, you sound like one of my apostles. You sound like one of the, the originals, you know. And he's gonna put you in a position, a situation. Listen, listen, listen. I was doing premarital counseling on Friday with a couple that doesn't go to church here and they don't go to church anywhere and good friends of mine. And so I was just kind of trying to thread the needle as best I can with, with where they are in their, their relationship and understanding of God and they're getting married next week. Make sure I didn't miss it. And as I was telling them about, about love, I was explaining to them the Greek words for love. Phileo and eros and, and then the, the word we use the most which is agape which is a different kind of love. It's an unconditional love. It's a love that, and I was using it in the context of marriage, it's a love that is commanded for a husband and a wife to love each other unconditionally. No matter what this person has done or hasn't done, I'm, listen, commanded to, but also liberated, listen, and allowed to love them, even though in that moment they may not have earned it or deserve it, or I might not be in the mood to give it. Now, in a marriage, that's very important that you keep that agape love flowing, unconditional love, very important. How much more, though, in the world where there isn't a matrimony commitment, that as a, as a Christian, God's asked you, hey, I want you to love people unconditionally. I don't know if I really want to do that. I don't know if I want to love everybody with agape love. Before I came out of my office, I was in, I got on my knees, and I, I prayed for three things. I said, Lord, would you give me an anointed sermon? Would you give me an accurate sermon? And Lord, would you give me an agape sermon? And I pray that. I learned that from Jason Beale, a tri AAA sermon. And that the Lord would give me that agape love for you guys. Just a love. Just a, a, a love. 
And he has given it to us. And Paul writes to Philemon, and he says, hey, Philemon, I, I see you're loving God, good job. And I also hear that you're loving others. Well done. What if South Beach Church got a reputation moving forward for being the most loving church in South Beach? That's funny. We're the only church in South Beach. <laughs> the 11 a.m. service is going to laugh at all my jokes. You guys are still going to, I'm still going to love you guys, but... He said, we've got a few more verses and I'm going to send you guys out of here. Verse five, hearing of your love and faith, which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints, that this, here's this prayer, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Stop right there, eyes up here. Paul, again, is praying for Philemon. He already knows he's loving God and loving others, but he's praying that he would be able to do so even more effectively. That the acknowledgement of his faith would be evidenced in everything that he does. Not a rad prayer for his buddy Philemon. Hey Philemon, I want everyone to know you're a Christian by what you do, not just by what you say. That there would be an acknowledgement. This is where love becomes a verb, where love becomes an action, where love becomes a sacrifice, where love becomes a service, not just to the people you are living with or committed to in that way, but to everybody. This is the challenge, is it not? And maybe you're like me. Yesterday, you missed it a couple of times. Ah, I missed it. Had an opportunity. I was, I was, my plans had changed, though. I was all, actually, at the duck game, I didn't even have fun. I really, I mean, I, I had fun, but I didn't have as much fun because there was so much going on in my, my life. I was like, oh, man. And this guy wants to talk to me. I don't want to talk to you, dude. You know, I got freaking out over here. This is where I was yesterday. I wasn't freaking out more than Paul. Paul's life was way more complex than mine. And Paul said, it's okay. I've been here before. I know what happens. I know God's word. He said it would actually be this way. And I'm gonna redeem the time, not reject it. Teachable moment for me. Teachable moment for all of us. Look at the last verse of the day. He says, for we have great joy and consolation in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. Such a rad verse in verse seven. Now, all of this is a setup for the big ask. All verses one through seven, Paul saying, Philemon, you're killing it. I can't believe it. I love it. You're the real deal, man. You're in it to win it. However, here's your next test. I want you to love and forgive and serve another person. Do you know that this is what God's gonna set you up to do this week? If you're a Christian here, if you've been forgiven, you've been loved, you've been served, you've been faithful, good job. <laughs> good job. And yet the Lord says, got a pulse, you got a, there's more for you to do. God will show you who to love. Don't grow weary in well-doing. The enemy wants you to grow weary. He wants to get distracted. He wants to get exhausted. He wants you to believe the hype. I like what he says in verse 7. I'm gonna read it to you one more time and tell one story, story and end. He said, for we have great joy and consolation in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by your brother. He's in jail. Paul hears all this stuff. He's heard the report from uh, the guy that came from to Colossae. I can't remember. He, all the, uh, Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus, Epaphras came, gave him the message, told him what's going on. He's like, are you serious? Philemon is just loving everybody? That's so cool. I heard of all of your love. You're having a great impact there in Colossae. Keep doing it. On Monday, I went to the courthouse here in Lincoln County. There was an arraignment for an individual who'd been arrested the day before here at church. And he was arrested last Sunday, and we had a little thing happen here at the church, and our security team handled it. And, and as he was arrested, they called me on Monday and said, he's going to be arraigned now, and would you like to be here? I said, yeah, I'd like to be a part of that. And, and as I walked into the courthouse, I, I don't know how to explain this, and I even, I even hesitate to do so, not in 
regards to the arraignment whatsoever. But as I walked into the courthouse, I was met by a couple people in the DA's office through the glass window, and they began to say, Pastor Luke, it's been so long since we've seen you in the DA's office. That's a good thing. And they were just so, and they were so excited. I didn't really expect that. I was kind of like, I'd been in Albany that day earlier. I've already been flying around. It's one o'clock. And, and they said, oh, they were so happy to see me first floor. Just big smiles and laughter. And it's like, oh, hey, hey. And I don't even know their names. Hey, you know, I said, you know, I went to the second floor. And I was rounding the stairs. Somebody saw me. Hey, are you Pastor Lucas? I was like, I don't know. Am I? You know, and, and, and he was excited. And another person went down the stairs. And she stopped and said, are you? And she was excited. And four people on the second floor were excited to see me. I didn't even know who they were. I was like, oh, hey, this is crazy, you know. And, when I got to the third floor, finally, I walked in the judge's room, big smiles, you know, and nobody's smiling in the courtroom, but there was big smiles, and, and the Lord spoke to me. He said, Luke, your church is having an impact in your town. Don't believe the, the bad news. Don't believe the hype. I hear of the good things that are happening. And the Lord began to just encourage my soul. Luke, don't think that what has been going on there at South Beach Church and in your own life has fallen on deaf ears. There are people, there's things, and there's challenges. Here's the Apostle Paul who's facing charges, incarceration, charges against him, just like our Savior who faced charges against him that were false, inflammatory. And yet the first thing out of Jesus Christ's mouth in that time of opposition and persecution was, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And he bled and he loved and he served. In all of the noise and all the distractions, we live in such a cancel culture right now where if anybody comes against me or unfriends me or doesn't like me, well, I'll tell you something about something. And the Lord says, no, let's love people. Let's love people. Your love, your service, your care, it's refreshed me in jail, Paul would say. Be encouraged, my friends. Don't grow weary in well-doing. Let's keep loving people. Let's keep serving people. Let's keep learning from our mistakes that happen every single day and say, oh, Lord, did you see that? Because I don't know if you saw that. Lord, would you grace us with another opportunity? I'm gonna ask you guys to bow your heads and close your eyes and we're gonna pray. Father, in Jesus' name now, we thank you for your great grace. Lord, your great grace is evidenced in this very moment that we're alive. I'll be the first to acknowledge, I can't believe I'm talking right now. Your grace in my life, and I thank you for that. And I thank you, Lord, that you have convinced us of your greatness. You've opened up our eyes. We see you as you are. And you've not left us alone, but instead you've joined with us through your Holy Spirit. And you've not left us, Lord, as orphans, but you've put us in the family of God. And you've not left us as lost, but you've put us on the mission of God in a world that is chaotic, Lord, walking in the triumph of Jesus. And I pray in your name, Lord, that you would guide and direct us, that you would anoint South Beach Church, Lord, in the midst of our trials, in the midst of our difficulties and setbacks, like Paul, we would continue to rejoice and pray because we've been here before and you've been faithful. We know your word and we want you to redeem our situation. If you're here this morning and you need the Lord to take you right where you're at, maybe you're a Christian, maybe you're a non-Christian who needs to become a Christian today, but right now you need the Lord to move in your life in one way or another and you wanna change, you wanna surrender your life yet again and say, Lord, take me right now. I need you. Would you just raise up your hand right now and say, yes, Lord, take me right where I'm at. I need you in my marriage. I need you in my singleness. I need you in my misery. I need you in my ministry. Whatever the case is, maybe you've just recently gotten bad news and you need the Lord and you say, yes, Lord, I surrender to you you help me Jesus maybe you're here this morning you don't even know the Lord yet as your personal savior and you need him as your savior would you raise up your hand in Jesus name and give your life to him 
Father, we thank you for the work you've done. My hand is up to Jesus. Forgive me of my sins. Lord, make me more available to you in all the ways, Lord, that you have predetermined to use our lives. I surrender to you. Use us. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Fill us with your love. Fill us with a hunger and a desire, Lord, to live for you, for your glory, and for others' good. And may you use us, Lord, in spite of ourselves. We open up our lives to you again, Lord, for your glory. Would you lead us? We thank you, God, for all you've done. We believe that the best is yet to come. Make us men and women of integrity, men and women of your word, men and women of love. Protect us from all things. We ask, in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said? Amen and amen. The gospel, let's walk in it this week. Let's love the people that God brings to us unconditionally for his glory and their good. Hey, I love you guys. God bless you. You're dismissed. The 11 a.m. is coming in. We went late today and we only got through like four verses. Don't tell the 11. They're gonna get mad. Guys, don't forget our ladies, Wednesday, 10 a.m., Bible study here. Be here. Youth group begins this week on Wednesdays as well. Celebrate recovery. Other than that, you're dismissed.